he made his way to the biggest window in the living room and opened it. That one window that, led, that leads out to the courtyard. He said to himself, I just need a little fresh air. But the truth is, he was curious. Preparations were already underway in the streets. The whole city was a bus for this weekend's events. So there had been moving and shaking, and while his door, his windows were open on the second floor, he could know and hear the things that were going on in the city. But that is not what he was curious about. There was something else that drew his attention this morning. So he opened it, stared out, took a deep breath. And with that breath, he felt his heart beat. There, just on the outskirts of the city, he could see in the distance the dust. The little dust cloud formed by all the feet of the people that were coming in. That was a different sound. That was a different situation. That was what drew his attention and the reason he opened the window. He was curious. But dignified as he was, he simply stepped back, looked out, and went back to his study. Sat back down at his desk and reopened his books. And he began to look and he began to uh, see through all the figures and the facts and look through making sure that everything and every dot was in the right place and every number equaled the right amount. And then he looked back to the window as he could hear the sounds. He could hear the rumbling and he could see the dust rising. He turned back again to his books and his studies and he decided he would concentrate this time, forget about what's going on out there and just focus on what he was supposed to do. And he tried. And he tried to write. He tried to add. But his heart was over there. His mind was, was over there. Before long, he just couldn't help himself. He got up and he began to look out of the window to see if he could spot what was really going on for the noise grew louder and louder. And he could sense it. And he said, I can't. He can't. He began to pace up and down the room. And he said, I can't. I just can't do it. But his heart, there was something going on. He was curious. He had to see it. He had to know it for himself. Before long, his shoes were on and he busted through the door, ran down the steps and out the front door and he started running. He knew exactly where he was headed because he had seen the cloud. He had seen the noise. And though the city was abuzz in preparations for this weekend's parade, something was already going on. He ran his way all the way down till he got to the main street. And when he got there, it was almost as if the parade had already started. People were lined up three, four, five, six deep on the street, watching everything go down. And he wanted to look and he wanted to see. But wouldn't you know it? He was just too short. He went to this side and tried to look. 
He went to that side and tried to look. The, the parade, the crowd wasn't moving quite so fast. So he tried to scurry. But everyone who would look at him would give him an elbow and push him back. And he tried and he tried and he tried. And then he came up with another alternative. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 19. If you've brought a Bible with you today, if you're here on a regular basis, you'll know that we're going to open the Word of God every time we meet. If this is your first time here, welcome. Nice to see you. My name is Milton. I don't know many of your names, but uh, if you wouldn't mind wearing a name tag, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm sure you have one at home you can pull out from your children's school supplies and bring it to church. But if you don't, you can just tell me your name when I see you next. We're going to be opening the Word of God to the book of Luke, chapter 19, and there's probably one in the pew right in front of you in case you didn't bring one, or under the pew if you're in the front. Book of Luke, chapter 19, tells us in verse 1 that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of... It's not quiz time, but you can guess it. The name of... Zacchaeus. Zach, good old Zach. The Bible tells us that he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Rich. Hey, somebody's reading. The Bible says here, verse 3, chapter 19, that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. A handful of things we learn about this man, Zacchaeus. For one, we know that he was Jewish. He was living amongst the Jewish people of this day. And that he had been giving a specific job, that of chief tax collector. In Jesus' day and in this time in in Judean history, Rome was in charge. The Jewish people, although they were living in their land, were under occupation by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would impose its rule, not just by its military strength, but by its monetary strength. It would collect taxes. Now, you all know what that's like, right? You can all identify with that. Each and every week or weekend or whenever it is that you get your paycheck, you see the amount you were paid, and you see the amount that was taken from you. That's the way I refer to it, taken from you. It's not like you voluntarily signed up. It was just taken from you. That's the way taxes are, are, are levied. In fact, the word we use are imposed. Taxes are imposed. They're not really collected. They're imposed. And oftentimes when you look, you wonder, and as I have, what is all this for? There's FICA this and FICA that and... I don't even know what the letters stand for. That's the way taxation works. They take it and take it and take it. And then someday, maybe, if you're lucky, you might get a refund back. Or a letter that says, you owe more. Right? Now, maybe you know what that's like. And if on that special day when you receive that letter that will tell you whether you're getting some or have to give some, you might actually receive a different kind of letter that says, a very special date has been reserved for you to come and meet with someone very special, very, very special, who only is here to help you make sure you have 
paid all the appropriate taxes, we call him or her the tax auditor. And of the tax auditors at the IRS, there's a regional director and so on and so forth until you get to the very top. And near the top, we have the chief tax collector. Now, this day and age, we believe that our uh, tax system and our tax code, though it's very complicated and I don't understand it, uh, we believe that it's fair. So most of us, and I'm going to say most of us, pay our taxes. Some of us like loopholes. Don't say amen because we don't want to know. <laughs> We'd have to report you. Most of us pay our taxes, and like I said, they're imposed upon us. Some of us have to fill out extra forms at the end of the year where the government says, now, is there any other place you got some income? Please report on this line. And you go, yeah, right. (laughs) But we believe the tax codes are fair, or, or, or for the most part, we think they are, some of us, not so sure, especially if you're Republican, you want to strike some things. If you're Democrat, you want to strike some other things. If you're green, I don't know. You're green, so I don't know what that means. But we follow the codes, and we just assume that the American government is playing by the rules. Oh, some of you guys disagree. Take it up with the chief tax collector. In this case, though, what the Bible tells us and scholars tell us is that the tax collectors in in the Judean countryside, in Jericho, were not playing by the rules because the chief tax collector was wealthy. Wealthy. Now, if you had an appointment to see your tax auditor and when you pulled up to the address... It was this nice big mansion here on Bonita States. I don't know what it's called right up here. Where it's got a 12-car garage and Maseratis in the front. Wouldn't you be wondering what's going on? Wouldn't you be asking yourself, wow, what, how does that job pay and how do I get in on that? Clearly, from the, from the Bible's understanding here, they find it necessary to mention that the chief tax collector was Wealthy, And that's important right here because he, like everyone else in Judea, was under Roman rule. In other words, like everyone else, he would have been uh, uh, imposed with taxes, levied with situations, not allowed certain things, not permitted certain things, except that he was given this job. And with Roman muscle on his side, scholars tell us that it's quite probable that he collected much more than was actually due. That from time to time, he might say to you, I know you only pay this much, but this time, special supplementary taxes will be added to your bill. I like that word, supplementary taxes. You ever purchased a home or thereabouts? You've gotten that supplementary taxes. Where does it come from? Where did, I don't know. And the Bible tells us that essentially he became wealthy through these means. And here we have this person so that you know something about him. He's wealthy. 
he's been uh, playing with the enemy, as it were. Okay? One of the reasons he's gained this wealth is because he's been using Roman kind of, kind of muscle. Because the Bible also tells us that he was a short man. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, right? Hey, nothing wrong with that. Except that we know that he couldn't have collected this money of his own muscle. People are usually not afraid of a short man. Unless he's wearing a suit and a tie and a microphone. <laughs> so we know, thank you, so we know, <laughs> so we know that it is more than likely that he used this, this Roman muscle. So, so, so to the people, he was not just the enemy. He was worse than that. He was one of us who had... Backstabbed all of us. He was a um, a traitor. A Bened- Thank you, Benedict Arnold. He had turned his back on all. We were his people, but he was siding with them and collecting money from us rather than sticking up for us. He had used his position to gain wealth for himself at our expense. So then we know that he wasn't very well liked. And the Bible says here that he wanted, verse 3, that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Theologians also debate as to why he might know who Jesus was. I tend to think it's because he had heard about Jesus. You see, Jesus was one of these people who are notorious. And notorious means you're famous not necessarily for good things. It depends who's telling a story. For the woman who had been healed, Jesus was the most important person she had ever met. For the man who had been uh, released from demon oppression, he was the most wonderful person. But but for the people who lost pigs, he is somebody that we should get rid of. For those who did not want the status quo upset, Jesus was a threat. And so he was notorious. But like anybody else who's notorious, word about him had spread probably. And I tend to think uh, uh, Zacchaeus had heard about him. Theologians say that he may have even heard about Jesus from John. Remember John the Baptist? The one who came before Jesus? As John has made his way around, he may have spoken and talked about the coming Messiah. And Zacchaeus may have heard and listened and something caught his attention. All that we do know for a fact is that this time when Jesus was on his way through, probably on his way to the Passover, the big feast at the end of the week, Zacchaeus heard and he wanted to see Jesus. Have you ever wanted to see Jesus? Have you ever gotten tired of just hearing about Jesus? These little short men that come to your church dressed in suits and microphones and all they do is talk about Jesus? Have you ever wanted to see him for yourself with your own two eyes? Or to know what it was like to stand in the presence of Jesus? I can understand Zacchaeus. I can understand listening and hearing all this stuff, but never actually seeing anything. The Bible says here that Zacchaeus Though he was a wealthy man, and because he was a wealthy man, he was not likely to be hanging out in the streets chasing after carpenters and day laborers. 
Because he was a wealthy man, he was accustomed to having people come and see him rather than him having to see them. Big difference, right? Big difference. Because he was a wealthy man, he was accustomed to getting his way. If he lived in our time, he probably would have a driver. Driving him here, driving him there, wherever he wants to go. Very important person. People, personal assistants, setting appointments for him. He was a wealthy and important person in this society. Not very well liked, but important nonetheless. But the Bible says that he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. And he wanted to see him so bad that he went down to where the crowd was. This is important. He went down to where the crowd was. And we know this because you've heard me tell about these stories already, that wherever Jesus went, usually there was a crowd. And usually this crowd was filled with people who would roam the streets. Day laborers, just average people, not the important types. And in this particular instance, the crowd was packed in. And Zacchaeus could not make it to the front. Now, I know what he felt like because I am a short man. In my country, though, I'll have you know, I stand head and shoulders above everybody else. (laughs) But in your country, much different story. And I know what it's like to get stuck behind someone else who's taller at at the theater, at the concert, anywhere in line, and everyone else is six feet and above, and you're just, can't see. So you say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Little, little, little man through. But the Bible tells us that the crowd would not let him through. And it's obvious, right? It's obvious because everyone knew who he was. He was an important man. So when he was pushing through, they would say, sorry. <clears throat> excuse me. Where do you think you're going? Out there, in the center of the city, at the, ty- at the IRX office, you're important. But here on the streets, I don't think so. Things go different here on the streets, the mean streets of Jericho. But I begin to wonder sometimes. I begin to wonder, if you were at the scene, how would you react? I begin to wonder sometimes, you here, Bonita Valley Church members, if, if you were at the scene, what kind of role you would be playing? Would you want to see Jesus? And if you were there, standing by the side, watching Jesus, in a little, short, not very well-liked tax collector came by, would you let him through? Or would you say, I don't think so. I don't think so. See, I have the sense that sometimes those of us that are church types, those of us that are accustomed to being here or have been coming to this church for a number of years, like to stand in the way of those who would come to see Jesus. Because we think they don't deserve it. They're evil. They're bad. Look at where they come from, Pastor. You don't even know what this man did to me, Pastor. I don't think so. He can't have my seat on this pew. No way. This is my church. This is my Jesus. Go back to where you came from. Not on the mean pews of Bonita Valley Church. We do it differently here. The crowd would not let him through. 
The crowd was not going to be kind to him because he hadn't been kind to them. The Bible says that he ran ahead, verse 4, chapter 19, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Noticing the movement on the crowd and trying to break his way in and, and, and every crack and not being able to, little Zacchaeus, and I mean little, ran ahead and he climbed up a tree. Now I want you to know, I have stopped climbing trees. I don't know if you have. But usually at a certain age, you know, we we stop doing that. But here we have a grown man, probably in as fancy a suit as he could be wearing for the day, climbing up a tree. A sight to behold. The Bible says that he climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus so bad. And I want you to just, just be there in the moment in Zacchaeus' mind. Because I want you to consider yourself. Maybe you're not part of the crowd. Maybe you're not one of the ones that's standing there holding everybody back. Maybe today you are like him. You have a dignified position and place. Maybe you're a very important person and you've come to see Jesus today. But the crowd's not letting you in. And you could decide, forget it. Forget it. I'm just going to turn around. This is beneath me. This whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, this whole Adventism thing, I'm too smart for that. I'm too whatever for that. This is beneath me. I'm out of here. Let me go back to my perch, back to my terrace, back to my window, back to my books. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And he wanted to see him so bad that he did not consider his suit too important. He did not consider his position too significant. He wanted to see Jesus that bad. And the Bible says that he climbed up a tree, climbed a sycamore tree because he knew that Jesus was coming down and he just wanted to see him. Eyes to eyes. See him. The Bible tells it this way, verse 5, chapter 19 And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, for I must stay at your house today. When Jesus reached the spot. I love that. I love that. I'm picturing myself in the scene, and I'll be honest with you. For a good part of my life, I was one of the people standing uh, on the crowd and saying, excuse me, excuse me, this spot is taken. For a good part of my life, I was standing, holding up the church walls, not letting the riffraff in, not letting those who hadn't paid their dues in, because they said, and I was told, that this is how we keep the church safe. This is how we keep the church sacred. We keep those bad people out. We shouldn't allow them in. But Jesus is making his way, and even when I keep them out, whenever Jesus reaches the spot, he knows which hearts are looking for him. The Bible says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and spoke right at Zacchaeus. Just just picture it in your mind for just a moment. Picture in your mind the crowd moving and out of the background this little man climbs up a tree and he's desperate for just a glimpse. All he wants to do is see him. He's not like the other people we've read who cry out, Jesus, Jesus, making a scene. All he wants to do is just see him. But we, 
are keeping him out. And then when Jesus reaches the spot, he looks up into the eyes of Zacchaeus. Can you imagine what that felt like? Can you imagine what's going on through Zacchaeus' mind and body the moment his eyes meet Jesus' eyes? Can you imagine what you would feel like if in this very day, on this very tree, your eyes met with Jesus? What would his eyes say to you? What would his heart speak to yours? What would the look of Jesus mean to you? The Bible says that Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I can guarantee you, nobody else called him by name. I can guarantee you that everybody else who knew him called him by some other kind of names. But nobody addressed him by his name. No one thought of him as a person. They thought of him as a traitor, the backstabber, someone who could not be trusted, someone who didn't deserve to be loved. But when Jesus reached the spot, he looked right at him and called him by his name. And he knew his name. And he knows your name and mine. And Jesus looked at him with only those eyes and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I must stay at your house today. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing because the crowd is aghast. Because the crowd is saying, what is going on? That's not the Jesus we thought he was. What is he doing? He's talking to him? Why? And not just Zacchaeus. It's not like he just knows him. He says, come down. I am coming to your house today. Get down from there. I'm coming to your house today. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, come down immediately. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, what? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner because that's how they referred to him. They didn't say that's Zacchaeus, you know, and they said that's, that's a sinner. That's a bad person. Why are you hanging out with her? Why are you hanging out with him? Don't you know? Hasn't anybody told you about who they are? Why are you hanging out with him? And the crowd began to mutter. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that every time God does something significant for some poor soul, the crowd begins to mutter? Isn't it amazing that when somebody comes to Jesus and is received by Jesus, the crowd begins to mutter? And began to say things like, Mm-mm. that ain't going to last. Pfft. The crowd begins to say, Jesus, if only you knew what, what I know about that person. Whew. You wouldn't be giving them a second look. Jesus, if only you had seen him. Wait a minute. How did you see him? How do you know what they're about? How did you know what they did? Maybe you were there. 
Or maybe you're just gossiping about it. Isn't it funny? Every time somebody wants to come to Jesus, those of us that are around Jesus either stand in the way or we criticize it. I think it's funny. I think it's sad. I think it's tragic. But Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And, and the people began to mutter, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, wait a minute, stop everything. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if, if I have cheated, if, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Something's going on in Zacchaeus' heart. At the beginning of the day, he had just wanted to see Jesus. But once he looked into the eyes of Jesus, something began to happen on the inside of his heart. This wasn't just an intellectual exercise, curiosity that killed the cat. Something was going on when he looked into the eyes of Jesus. Something began to change. And as he heard the people murmuring, he stopped and he said, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now understand how difficult this is for a wealthy man to say, I give half. And in addition, if I've cheated anybody, I will pay back four times the amount. That's not just giving back, but four times the amount. I will restore my mistakes. See, Zacchaeus is understanding that when Jesus accepts him, he didn't accept him because he had done this. He accepted him before that. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Because see, I think the crowd wanted to hear him say this first before they wanted to see Jesus call him by name. See, I think the crowd, or, or I think the church wants to see people get right before God will accept them. I think the church wants to see people shape up Get it together before they want to hear about Jesus loving them. But that's just backwards. That's just not how it works. The way it works is that Jesus looks into the eyes of sinners. Known sinners like you and me. And he calls us by name. And it is by beholding Jesus' eyes that we become changed. Zacchaeus said, I, I can't be myself anymore. When I saw those eyes, when I heard him call me by name, I, I just can't do it this way anymore. I know what I've done. I know all these times that I, I thought nobody was looking. I know all these times that I thought, who cares? I can get away with it. But when I looked into his eyes, now it's different. When I heard him call me by name, now it's different. And I will fix, and I will change, and I make these vows. And then Jesus responded, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amazing. Amazing that for many, many years, for decades even, we, the church, had missed this entire message. For many, many years, we had forgotten that Jesus did not come for those that are already 
saved. But the purpose of church, Christianity, and Adventism isn't just so that we can pat ourselves on the back as we watch the parade of Jesus pass by. No, Jesus came, and the message is, and the gospel is all about seeking and saving what is already lost. And that should scare you. That should make you uncomfortable. Because it means that Jesus is interested not just with us or what we want or what we like. But he's interested in those that we don't like. In those that you and I scoff at and sneer at and despise. That should make you uncomfortable. But it should also bring you hope in case you're one who needs to be saved today. And guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who's coming to your house? Guess who wants to? Jesus himself. For the word of God says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever lets me in, whoever lets me in, I will come in, have dinner with you. And you with me. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus himself wants to come to your house and spend time with you. Wants to sit across the table from you, look into your eyes and tell you every great dream and plan he has for your life. Wants to sit across from you and tell you, I don't care about that. Doesn't matter what you did. I'm here now. Guess who's coming to dinner? The Bible says that this is the only time Jesus invited himself over to someone's house for dinner. Amazing. But you know what? He'd do that. Jesus will do that. And if you haven't invited him over yet, Jesus is going to invite himself over because the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I've been thinking now that that's a pretty good strategy. I'm going to start inviting myself over to your house. (laughs) See what happens. I am grateful today that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not one of exclusion. It is not one of condemnation. But it's one of invitation. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of salvation.